Welcome everybody to Freelancer Codex Podcast. This is our interview podcast titled Humans Make Games and I'm the host Steve along with my co-host Mike and today we are pleased to welcome Fernando Mello to the podcast. Fernando, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. No, we really appreciate you taking the time off from your busy day um, to come and talk to us about a couple of things that you've been working on. And first of all, Fernando, can you kind of explain to our listeners who you are, what you do, and um, how you got started in the game industry, I guess? Yeah, for sure. How much time do you have? We have as much time as you <laughs> have. So, I mean, if I'm you here the rest of the Oh, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I've been a, a producer in the video games industry for over 20 years now. Um, I started uh, just out of school. I was uh, growing up in Toronto, in Canada. Um, and um, I got my start doing a little bit of art and a little bit of programming. I got into some project management and really enjoyed it, uh, kind of heading up a small team. And then just kind of from there, my appreciation for production grew and I wanted to continue down that path. Um, most recently, I started a studio uh, last year called Double Blit, uh, which is working on a couple of games. Prior to that, I was uh, 12 years at Bioware. Uh, where I worked on both um, Dragon Age and Mass Effect franchises as a producer. Uh, and then before that, I was at uh, Take-Two uh, Interactive out of the uh, UK, uh, where I helped uh, start the 2K Games label in Europe, um, as well as they had a, f a few other labels. So essentially everything that was, I guess, non-Rockstar um, yeah. was some of the things that I was involved with. Rockstar kind of had its own thing. Um, but everything else, they had a few different labels. They had like Global Star and Gathering and Developers at one point and so forth. So, so you've only been around for a couple of years. I mean, it's only been 20 years in the industry, That's right? right? That's all. Yeah. I mean, and, and you've worked on some of the biggest titles um, the game industry has seen, talking, you know, about Mass Effect. It's, just, it's only one of the biggest franchises out there, right? So just small things like like Mass Effect that you've worked on is your time as a developer. Yep. Well, um, it's, it's, so, I mean, I'm hugely appreciative of, of having had the opportunity to work on those things. A lot of it is, again, it's just luck and timing, um, but it was a fantastic team. It was a lot of fun, both that and Dragon Age. So I, I would like to go back even farther. Like, you know, what, what made you say, young Fernando, like, I want to develop video games? Was it just like, I guess this is the only, I, I, I got a job offer, I guess let's go do this? Or was there <laughs> always a driver that, hey, I want to do this as a career? Yeah, actually, interestingly enough, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a pilot. Uh, when that didn't work out, um, which was right after sort of like high school, going into university, uh, I had made the regular applications and so forth and that on the military side. And that didn't uh, pan out, or at least for the, the roles that I wanted. Um, so then I kind of, my fallback was I love playing video games. I had been playing since I was a kid. Um, I was actually really fortunate. I, I kind of grew up in, um, in Portugal and my grandfather was in the Merchant Marines and uh, spent a lot of time in Asia. And at one point, I don't recall exactly how old I was, but at one point he brought home a console uh, from some part in Asia where he was at at the time. Um, and I remember it wasn't a Nintendo system, but it definitely had like Pong and it had a light gun that you shot like squares, white squares that would dance around the screen and stuff. And I was like totally hooked on this thing. And then, you know, from there, things like the ZX Spectrum and VIC-20 and Commodore 64 and then onto PC and stuff. So I, I was always playing games and in particular, actually even uh, flight sims uh, was one of the things once I got onto the PC side of gaming, uh, I suppose on the Commodore 64, there was already quite a few as well, but uh, those were kind of my bread and butter type of games because I was so much into the material anyways, um, that once things didn't work out, then that I kind of fell back of like, well, you know, I enjoy playing it. I enjoy, I had this idea of wanting to make a game and what would it take? I was already studying uh, programming and a little bit of computer graphics as well. Uh, so it kind of seemed like a natural progression uh, to do something like that. And I was uh, really, really lucky actually to get a, um, a summer job working at a multimedia studio, uh, which wasn't even quite games. It was more like it was kids edutainment, uh, CD-ROMs and websites and things like that. But it kind of gave me a chance to start putting some of those skills to practice and learn um, how to work on a team um, and those kinds of things. And then it just kind of grew from there. And again, just very fortunate to kind of get my foot in the door. That seems to always be the hardest part is once you get in, it's actually a lot easier. 
um, you tend to know people and things like that, but getting kind of your initial foot in the door is, is the hard part. Uh, but once that happens, it's, it's pretty easy to progress after that. If that's something that you're interested in. Very cool. So going from wanting to be a pilot to like, just, Hey, if I can't do this, I'll just build games where I can be a pilot. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of, well, that, that, that's super cool. Um, so is, for your for your time in the industry for the twenty years that you've been in, has there has there ever been a time where you like wanted to get out of the industry and go do something <laughs> else? Yeah, I've uh, often fascinated to just go, you know, either plant potatoes or do something just with my hands that had zero like high end technology uh, related to it. That's super naive. I know nowadays farming does have <laughs> a lot of technology related to it, but just this kind of sense of I want to just do something that has zero me having to solve these kind of technical problems and things like that. So, um, but, uh, but no, I mean, not, you know, in, in a serious sense, I don't think I've ever really encountered that. There's a few times, especially when you're, you know, you're going through finaling a, a difficult game or something and you have a crunch that you're going through and you're tired and exhausted all the time and that kind of stuff. Um, obviously that wears on you, uh, especially when you also see that affecting your peers and even your family, like, uh, my wife uh, jokes, quote unquote, uh, not quite a joke, but essentially like when I'm crunching, the whole family is crunching, right? They feel it. Uh, everything lands on her uh, to help with the kids and all this kind of stuff and pick up a lot of the things that normally I would be involved with just because I'm zoned out effectively, you know, for a long time. And your brain is just saturated with all the things you need to deal with uh, while you're working, right? So um, there's times that, that in those times it's hard to kind of go like, geez, I wish I could be doing something else perhaps. Um, but at the same time, like I, I always enjoyed the people that I worked with. And I think, you know, I think that probably resonates with a lot of other people, even if you're not in games, that if you enjoy the people that you're working with and stuff, that's, there's a big part of the, why do you show up every Monday morning um, usually tends to come from that, right? That sense of, of the other people that are around you and your responsibilities towards that as well. So um, yeah, there's a few times that you kind of cross my mind, but never seriously enough to kind of think, you know, um, that's it. I'm definitely done this time or anything like that. I'm, I'm hoping I can continue to do this until, you know, I get bored or something else <laughs> more interesting perhaps comes up as I get older. I don't know, but. Yeah. Is there that fear that if you do go become a tomato farmer, that someone on Twitter <laughs> is going to be like critiquing your selection of tomatoes? Like, why on earth are you choosing this oh, tomato I seed? I sure hope wrong? not, because that, that would be a huge reason for wanting to go to that in the first place, right? That would be this, yeah. Um, I mean, there there is definitely that element, right? It, it certainly wears on you. I've been very fortunate in the sense that um, I've certainly not seen anywhere near the levels of uh, kind of attacks that some developers have seen, particularly, you know, if you're a woman or anyone on the LGBTQ spectrum or anything like that, right. Uh, or visible minority or anything like that. So it's um, I, in that sense, I've been a lot more privileged, but it's hard to see that certainly on the peers and your friends yeah. that you've gone through. You can imagine, you know, putting multiple years of your life working with other people and knowing the, sacrifices and things that they've made and the contributions that they've made only to kind of see those things come up. Um, and unwarranted at, at that, like, as you know, you, you've mentioned that before, it's like for most cases, I would easily say all cases, but perhaps, um, you know, the attacks that are being directed at developers as individuals or anything like that, like for, I would, be astonished if any one of those cases, those were people that actually had the power to do anything about the things that are being complained about. Uh, they just right. happen to literally be in, in the crossfire uh, to some extent, right, of whatever that is being directed at. So it's, it, is, it can be very thankless in that sense. But at the same time, like some of my best memories have come from uh, meeting fans and, and having those kinds of engagement. When it works and when it's positive, um, it's actually one of the most rewarding things to see people play the game for the first time and experience it and kind of see their face light up or be surprised at something that had gone into the game and the team put a lot of effort into it and have that payoff of people reacting to it. Um, that's, you know, you have both sides of the coin, right? Right. Do you, do you have a proudest moment in the industry for you? Right. I mean, up until now, I'm sure there'll be more in the future because you are, I mean, faders create. So do you have one that comes to <laughs> mind now? 
that's hard. Like every, honestly, every single one is like a, your child, right? Like they're all special in their own way. Even the most difficult projects and even ones that ultimately ended up, you know, being canceled or did not work well or something like that uh, in my past, it's, they all have really hard fought, hard earned lessons in there somewhere. And a lot of them actually end up having uh, in some cases, silver lining in the sense of like, Hey, this thing was canceled, but then it mutated into a, a new project that actually turned out really, really well or something along those lines. So I honestly, I don't know that there is one, like yeah. every single one I could point to. And there's, you know, a handful of things that I felt really, really proud about. Um, whether it's, you know, me personally, what I got out of it and, and my contribution or just the people that were around making it happen. Um, yeah. Every single one of them is, it's kind of like your baby. Right. So, yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I have three kids, but I definitely have a favorite. So <laughs> I kind of under, no, but um, as, as we were talking don't, about, don't we're, that. <laughs> no, I don't. I make sure that I'm not around, but right. it, as we're talking about all this, you know, um, double blit game, double blit, you guys are making a game called game director story. And I, I guess I want to jump to that because I think that the game that you guys are building like ties into all this um, conversation that we're having about games. Right. So I think if we, if we want to jump over to that and talk about that, it, because it's hard to talk about all this stuff without talking about the game that you're building because they go so hand in hand. Right. Oh, no, it's, it's super similar, but um, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it is interesting in the sense, like in terms of comparing some of those things, um, a lot of the games that I've seen that do focus on this kind of topic of running a studio or, uh, being involved in in making a game as a game experience. Um, a lot of them seem to be focused on this kind of um, macro uh, management level experience. Like I'm going to uh, purchase some more programming widgets and that will make the bar go faster so I can, I can make it happen, um, which is fine. Like from a management perspective and, and a, a game experience uh, perspective, it's perfectly fine and it makes sense. But that's, that's not what it's actually like like it's, it's actually it's about people it's super difficult because every single person has emotions and they have challenges and there it's this ebb and flow and you have cross relationships that are going on of people with people and external factors and um, I wanted to try to figure out a way to capture that sense of it where yes there are times that you you may be able to influence the outcome uh, but a lot of times like there, there isn't a singular person that kind of just sits on a throne and goes, yes, no, um, it just doesn't work like that. Like it is a collaborative piece. And, and um, a lot of it from a, from a director perspective uh, or any kind of leadership role within that, um, that team is down to influence. Like a lot of things you don't have, um, or at least if you want to maintain any reasonable professional relationship with people, you don't tend to be dictatorial. Uh, you tend to work with people to try to get the best out of them, right? So you do have to kind of maintain these various relationships and it gets a lot more complex when you also have to deal with external factors, whether that's a publisher that you're working with or the press or fans, or um, those are all part of those kind of interrelationships that happen. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to capture was that sense of depending on the decisions that you had been making up to that point, uh, because there's a certain level of randomness of how things occur so that you no know, replay is exactly the same. Um, when you hit certain uh, situations and you, you want to make a decision, a, a lot of times, um, and this is kind of a, a constant feeling that I, I want to get through the game, is this sense of, you know, 99% of the time, you know exactly what the right answer is. Um, but there's 101 reasons why it may not be possible or practical or you don't have the budget for it. You don't have the people for it. Uh, it may be one of those things that a lot of times you may have to, uh, in some cases, like the most difficult ones are the ones where you potentially have to compromise some of your like personal values or something for the greater good of the show must go on. The project must continue. You're responsible. Like in, in game director story, it is set in a team that is trying to deliver a AAA game. So you have um, several hundred people, that you're responsible for. So there is situations that do come up where you have potentially, you could make a decision that you are sticking to your values or whatever the case is uh, because it's the right thing to do. But because you don't have the influence 
left or kind of the political capital left, if you will, um, that could potentially mean a game over. And that's something that you have to kind of rationalize in the sense that, okay, like, yes, I can stick to my guns, but potentially, you know, what if that means the game is canceled and I have to let 300 people go uh, and put them out on the street or whatever the case is. So there's those kinds of things that you don't often uh, think about, of course, because you don't go through those things, but um, that's partly what I wanted to try to capture with the game is that sense of what is it like to, you know, work through these relationships, build those things up and then have these kinds of external factors come in and challenge a lot of those things. Like it's a constant, you never have enough time in the day to deal with everything. Uh, there's always these external factors that even though you might know what the right decision is, you may not be able to do it at this time. You might be able to later on, but not right now. Um, and that's ultimately what game development is like. There is no straight line uh, from A to B. And then along the way, there's all kinds of surprises that come up. Uh, no matter what the planning is, it's like, you know, uh, any sort of battle plan, as soon as you hit first contact or whatever the case is, um, it's the same kind of thing. Like you create these plans and you're constantly having to revise it because of new situations that come up. Things change, whether that's external factors in the marketplace, uh, a competitor just released something, um, or potentially it's like, yeah, our plan assumed we were going to have 10 people to do this type of work. We've only been able to hire eight people so far. So that has an impact. Um, or, you know, some people are not working out and now we have to go, you know, do you make the decision to um, cut them loose? Because potentially that's, you know, depending on what the factors are, if they're obviously uh, creating challenges for other people on the team, that's probably a good decision. Uh, in some cases, it may be that maybe some forward progress is better than no for forward progress. And you have to kind of weigh those sorts of decisions as well, right? Um, so it's mostly trying to kind of capture those sorts of uh, situations and uh, establish the, um, the fact that it is about characters and it is about relationships. It's, it's all the decisions that you're making is through the lens of you as a game director interacting with the various leads of the disciplines they are your conduits to the rest of the teams that they represent. And then you have certain stakeholders like your publisher and someone that handles PR and those kinds of things that you also, they also represent the external view, uh, the outside world view of what's going on in the game or in the studio that you also have to respond with. So, so a secondary and, title could be how to be good at life. Right? <laughs> I'm sure there's lessons there. Yes. There's, I mean, there's there are lessons, lessons to be learned in, in navigating the intricacies of life and, talking to people and making decisions. I think everybody should have this game. I know six people that I need to get it to quickly. Actually. I appreciate it. Thank you. And it would be awesome if in life we had bars that indicated like, okay, if you make this decision, this will happen. And Ahead this of won't time? Happen. That, uh, that would be really great. Yeah, so, do you have a bar that says stop talking? Like I wish people could get that bar just right across. Yeah. Stop. My bar would just yeah, be one of those like timer, timer yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, you can say whatever you want, but when the timer's over, uh, you're just That's done. Right. So as I played through the demo multiple times, Fernando, because this, this is actually the first time I've like wanted to play a game of this of this type. Um, it really it really grabbed grabbed me because like we're so interested in game development in the industry that I'm like, okay, I want to try this out and I want to play it. And as I played it, I I had the sense that I was playing somebody else's experiences during game development. Like it felt too real, the things that were happening to this team, right? Like, oh, this is probably something that a game developer has gone through at one point. This isn't just someone writing and saying, what if this happened? It's probably a real experience that someone had. That's the sense that I got as mm -hmm. I played through the game multiple times. I mean, is that, were you, did you just ask all your colleagues like, hey, tell me some things that happened during development. Because it seemed really real. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And actually, that's that's one of the things that I, I also want to make sure that we we capture is that all of the situations that are in there are real. Like, obviously, the names have been changed and all that kind of stuff. But um, And also, it, like, in the sense of um, to work with the game mechanics and the characters that we have, obviously, some creative license is used to make sure that it, it works in those contexts. But um, one of the things that, for me, would be you know, even if it is only six people that end up playing this thing in the end, um, I want to make sure that once you finish playing this, um, you can walk away and you can think about the fact that, you know, people, developers actually had to go through that. Like th that was a real thing that actually happened and someone actually had to go through those things. 
Um, and the interesting part so far, and, and to, your, to your question, uh, yes, like some of it is, is my own experiences through various, uh, all, all my previous uh, years, as well as a bunch of colleagues that I've been uh, working with over the years, not over the years, over the last few months. Um, well, I suppose many of them I knew over the years, but in the last few months of working with the game is when we started talking more about this. Um, and really kind of trying to do justice as well to a lot of those experiences. Um, but the really interesting thing is we have actually, when you play the demo, there's a link to a, a survey. Um, and one of the things, like in terms of people uh, putting in feedback and stuff, one of the things that I found really fascinating, and even actually some of the colleagues when they reached out to me afterwards, um, everyone assumes that it's being written about them. Um, and the, the, the fact is like, these things are unfortunately like so common, like most developers have experienced at least some of these things that it feels really personable from that perspective. And I'm, I'm really, you know, uh, in a strange way, like I'm happy to hear that you also feel that because I think it's, it's really important that someone that has not lived through that in the experience in, in the industry gets that out of the experience. Like I would love for nothing else that at the end of this, that a player could, you know, sit back and go, holy smokes, like someone actually has to, had to deal with those things that I just went through. And part of being in those shoes for a little bit and having that experience hopefully helps to build a little bit more kind of compassion, empathy for the people that actually do this uh, for a living and help to make all these fantastic games that we love to play uh, and countless others that we never get to see, like for whatever reason, they never get to see the light of day or whatever. Um, that to me is, is really what this is about, is trying to kind of capture those essences so that um, someone could get that, you know, walk a mile in their shoes type of experience. Um, at the same time, one of the things that I'm trying to make sure that we balance really, really well is, I, you know, the point is that this is not meant to be like an, a, an expose of company X or anything like that or certain individuals or anything like that. Um, and it's also not, you know, the worst thing for me would be that by playing this, it is actually like a triggering thing for developers. Like they had such a terrible experience and now they're having to relive some of that. Like that's certainly not what we're going for. Um, I want to try to strike that balance where a little bit like, um, I suppose like a TV sitcom, you can have humor. Um, and the fact that it, you know, some of these things looking back on them, they were super stressful at the time, but now looking back on, like we laugh about them because of how ridiculous they are yep. in, you know, several years on, you look back and you're like, how, you know, how did we think that this was even a thing? Uh, but at the time it was very stressful because of all the factors that were around. And given the information you had at the time, some of these genuinely felt like do or die type things. Like the game does not ship if we do not solve this problem. Um, so given, you know, hindsight being 2020, you can see perhaps that's not the case later on, but at the time, given the information you have, you got to make the best decisions you think you can and trying to capture that. So, but ideally what I'd like to get to is from a developer perspective, you can see those things in there and it does feel genuine and, and especially that it's being handled, those situations are being handled respectfully as well. Uh, but also for someone that has never had any development experience, and is curious about, you know, what would it be like to be a fly on the wall in these kinds of things? Like one of the interesting things, actually, um, another conversation I had with a colleague of mine was that I kind of realized afterwards, like even most developers don't often sit in the room when those kinds of decisions are being made. They typically hear about it after the fact and, and how it impacts them. Like, oh, we're now changing this direction. Um, and that's a failure from a management perspective of not perhaps explaining the context and whatnot, but that's actually really, really common. So even for most developers, they may not even, they may certainly have experienced some of these things, but not even be perhaps in the room or in a position to influence or have to make those decisions. Um, so that's kind of what I'm hoping to do is have people be able to sit in the room, hear some of the context of how did we even get here in some of these cases? And now that we are here, here's the options, right? Like there's bad and there's slightly less bad. Yeah. Which one do you want to take? Um, and they all have, will have, like you can see it, the writing's on the wall. It's like 
this thing is going to come back and bite us on the ass, but it's the best decision. Sorry. I don't know. If I can no, say you're, that. you're okay. You're okay. <laughs> uh, but it's the best decision we can make right now, given the information we have and all the other factors to it. Right. So ultimately trying to capture that in a way that is also in terms of the art style and, and having it kind of like as a visual novel esque thing that I do want to also make it super accessible. Like I don't want it to be something where you need to have an innate, you know, you need to be like really good at using a console controller to play this thing or any of that kind of stuff. I want it to be something that anybody like ultimately we hope to get it onto, you know, tablets and phones and consoles and stuff. So using whatever device you want, you should be able to play this and experience it. And regardless of what your kind of gamer level is, uh, have it be super accessible as well. Well, as you talk about it, Fernando, it mm -hmm. seems like, do you, do you feel a greater weight of responsibility to nail this game because of the stories you're telling, because of, you know, the education you can do for the people that are playing it, the education, or maybe giving other developers insight to the process before they get in? Because it seems, it seems like more important of a game than, you know, I don't know, maybe just a game where you shoot aliens, right? It seems like you're, you're putting more emphasis on, like, this is how it is. This is the things people go through in order to, you know, in order to make the games that you enjoy. I don't know if maybe I'm just projecting there, but it just seems like it's more important than just, hey, go shoot this alien and here's a story about shooting aliens. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess one of the things I should say is that's part of the reason why I wanted to start my own studio is to go and do these things, right? Uh, so I guess in that sense, like, I do feel like... Um, I certainly want to make sure that we do a good job of representing these things faithfully and um, respectfully in some cases, depending on the material that is, is uh, related to. Um, I guess, I mean, part of it too is just kind of the reason for wanting to start Double Blit was some of that. Like it was actually one of the turning points for me was watching uh, the video game award show, maybe I guess it was two years back. Uh, Christmas time, December. Um, and even now, like the most recent one you know, this past December, or you look at some of the console announcements recently or anything like that, and it still feels like, I don't know, I'm making a number up, but let's say 80% of the games are all like uh, ultra-violent shooters, super yeah. gory, super dark. Uh, even if it's not a shooter, it's like a really heavy material. Um, and at the end of the day, it's kind of like, the world needs a little bit different right now, it feels like. Um, so that was kind of like part of the impetus as well as to, I didn't want, I didn't feel like that's what I wanted to do anymore on the AAA side. Having spent most of my life there, um, I felt like what I wanted to use the rest of my time for was to put together things that can, like I said, even if it's six people that end up experiencing this thing, uh, they will feel like it's hopefully benefited them uh, and help to give them a different perspective, perhaps. Um, and at least, if nothing else, it's it's trying to do justice to a lot of what developers have gone through over the years and continue to go through as we keep seeing more stuff in the media, right? Yeah. And it, I think as as I played through the game, one of the small little details that I really enjoyed, I don't, I don't know if I can say I enjoyed it because it's kind of sad also, but the avatars are stuffed animals of the characters. Mm -hmm. And as they get pushed and pushed more and more, like they start coming apart at the seams. And I'm like, well, that's a really cool way to indicate like, you know, being able to see where their meter is, I guess, of how they're feeling during development. But it's also really sad that they're like, oh, these people are actually coming apart at the seams and that's yeah. kind of a it's a weird thing to be like oh that's a cute little detail but these poor people probably felt this way that they you know that they were coming apart during this development i mean can you talk about that like was there discussions on how do we depict people are just kind of fed up and they're getting burnt out yeah that's exactly where we we landed uh we had looked at doing like actually having people like with most visual novels um one of the concerns that I had of doing that is given, you know, given the topics that we're covering, I didn't want to even inadvertently um, someone feeling like we're actually talking about a particular person, like having a caricature of someone that is actually a real person or a company or something like that, uh, because that's not what the point was. Uh, it also brought up a lot of, um, well, it brought up good conversations, but it was also creating these kinds of challenges for us of how do we do, how do we properly represent things around racism and other aspects uh, 
um, without kind of loading the situation uh, inadvertently, uh, or perhaps even, you know, uh, inadvertently doing something that is not what we intended at all, just by how we created a caricature of a, of a person. Um, so we kind of moved into um, animals from that perspective because it actually lended a lot of really interesting perspectives because there's actually some really interesting correlations in the sense that a lot of animals come with these kind of stereotypes. Uh, when you see a fox, you think about, you know, cunning perhaps, uh, or maybe mischievous or something like that. When you see a predator uh, as, a, as a species, you kind of think about, okay, this is a powerful creature or whatever the case is. So it actually allowed us to layer in some of these things um, that otherwise might've been more difficult to do. And certainly within like, our game is not massive. Uh, there is a lot of content from a writing perspective, but it's still fairly limited in terms of the stories we can tell. Um, and we don't have hours and hours and hours of dialogue or anything like that to convey some of the subtleties beyond what you can do just with uh, words. So visual was actually really, really important. Um, from that, we kind of did move into the idea that it was these kind of stuffed animals and this, this sense of visually, like even if depending on the character's personality, they weren't, you couldn't tell from their tone that they were feeling it, but you could see it. Um, and that was like, that's one of the things that for me was really important is I need to be, I need the player to be able to look at the character and go, I'm doing this. Like by making these decisions, as much as they're telling me, no, I'm, I'm in it. I'm good. Put me in coach. But you can see the wear and tear that's happening on this person. And it's kind of like, it's up to you to decide, like, is this important enough that you're going to ask them to, you know, go one more round or whatever the case is, whatever the situation is. Um, and kind of seeing that impact on the people around you and what that cost is. Uh, that was actually really, really important to, to get across and, and not have to, in a lot of ways, like spend more time in um, having more UI bars or, um, or having the character have to explain like, oh, I'm feeling really tired today or something like that. It's, some of these things are the most powerful things is that you create that emotional connection with this character. You start to understand what they're about based on how they talk and what they feel strongly about and the values that they share and stuff. And then, you know, when you're making a certain decision, even if you're not talking to them, you're like, I know that this is going to really upset this person uh, because this is against what they stand for, but this is given the bad or less bad option. I have to, to do this thing. Um, and then seeing the next conversation you have with them. And it's even if they're not showing, even if they're not saying it, they're showing it and you can tell that it's wearing them down and stuff was a really important aspect of it. Yeah, not not to spoil too much, but there is a, a dialogue choice or a conversation about, you know, sending a team into crunch in order to make a deadline before the infamous E3 trailer, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, E3 is a big deal. Um, and it, have, have you ever had the situation where you're like, I really don't want to ask people to do this, but we kind of have to ask people to do this or else the game just, you know, or else we're not going to get the trailer. I mean, is that something from your experience? Is that something just from, you know, um, another developer that, you know, cause that, that seems like I a think super every, hard excuse me. So, I think every, no, every developer and every game, uh, at least, I mean, I shouldn't say every game. There's, there are actually really good examples of uh, developers that are working very hard um, and making decisions specifically around preventing those things, which is good. And we need more of that. Um, on the AAA side, that is very uncommon. Uh, in fact, I don't really know anyone that's shipped the game um, that way. Um, and there's, there's actually a lot of, again, there's a lot of factors to it. It's not as simple as saying we're going to not do this. Um, it seems like it's a really easy decision. Sometimes it can be, but a lot of times there's a lot more nuance to that. Um, so that was definitely one of the things that, you know, there's a, a certain number, I don't know how many we can ultimately get in the game. It uh, depends on scope wise and how far we can get into it. But um, I'm hoping that we can represent most, if not all of the really big issues that we see. Uh, I'm sure like you guys are seeing you're, you're kind of adjacent on while you're not developing, but you're certainly aware of what's going on. You're paying attention to what's going on with various developers and games and stuff. Um, and as are a lot more players, which is actually really interesting from a timing perspective, we're seeing a lot more interest from people of 
you know, why are these problems continuing to come up all the time? Uh, why do developers have to keep crunching to make the games that I enjoy? So it's hopefully trying to represent that. There is no, at least in my experience, there's no easy answer um, when it comes to certain crunch. Uh, the other part is that crunch is one of those things that it can mean lots of different things. Um, in my experience, I think you kind of need sort of three factors uh, to really um, not to really come together in terms of not having a team have terrible crunch. Like this is prolonged uh, months on sort of death marches is probably a, a more precise term. Um, so the biggest things for that is you, you do need kind of the, the leadership to agree that this is important. In other words, be willing to make decisions um, that help to prevent those things. And usually those kinds of decisions tend to mean either spending more money or making scope related decisions in other ways, like cutting back or whatever the case is, or hiring more people in some cases, that's not a silver bullet either. Cause that comes with its own challenges. But there, if you can see far enough ahead and you can see it coming, there's, you have more options as to how you can try to tackle it. But the first most important one is a willingness to go and do that. Um, if you have that, the next one is on the, the game team itself, like the, the leadership of the team itself, as opposed to uh, whoever is ultimately paying for this thing, whether that's a publisher or the game studio or kind of the, the um, leadership that the game leads respond to. Uh, the game leads themselves need to be committed to that thing, like as a, as a collective, uh, because everybody, like, the team has to cross the finish line together. There is no, I'm going to do this for my team and screw everybody else. Because uh, then at some point, people are crunching, right? Um, and sometimes that's actually more common where certain groups are able to manage their, their workload, their scope, their prioritization better. Um, that can come from their leads doing a better job of that. That could come from perhaps they're not on the critical path of the game. So it's easier to make those scope cuts. Like it really depends on the kind of game as well. In some cases, what you can remove and scope and so forth. Um, the last one is actually down to the team members as well, which I've also seen. Uh, and again, this, to be clear, this is not a criticism of any single team or anything like that. It's just, this is quite common um, in these situations where you do have prolonged crunch and stuff. Um, one of the things that can sometimes happen is you also have, um, the team members themselves where they are so committed to doing a great job and wanting to make the game the best that they can, that when it comes time to saying, okay, this is good enough, move on. They don't, uh, they continue to work on it. It's not quite there yet. I, you know, our deadline is in two weeks. Therefore I'm going to spend my last two weeks working on this thing and not maliciously, but inadvertently they will sometimes sign up teams downstream from them to crunch by delaying their deliverable or whatever the case is, right? Again, hugely simplifying what actually goes on because there's lots of reasons why that may have been behind or why there's more work needed or whatever the case is. Um, but in general, you kind of need the, the three, those three groups to be aligned on whether they want to manage this thing that way or not. And if any one of those is not, um, then inevitably somebody's going to crunch and typically it's downstream teams, right? Um, usually that ends up being like, obviously QA, audio, cinematics, uh, VFX, lighting, uh, all the things that come at the very end. Um, and then you also sometimes will have like, again, when we talk about crunch, there's a big range of those things. You can have situations where um, a critical bug shows up, like this will actually prevent us from shipping and we need to fix something. And that fix starts up here. And that means, you know, in a week's time, these people will have to pull an all-liner or work that week to make the deadline or whatever the case is. There is a lot of those kinds of things as well, right? Yeah. And it's, it's always, like you said, it's a tough conversation when we hear about, you know, pe people like Naughty Dog and these big developers that just crunch and crunch. And us as consumers, we get so upset about it. 
but then you know we still have to buy the game and we're still love enjoying playing the game and it's like where does that how does that cycle change right if we we want to support the developers because there's people that are putting you know blood sweat and tears into this game and to like boycott it doesn't help those people and so we purchase the game because we love the game that we want to support those people but that doesn't really like end the cycle right so that's it that's a tough thing to have to like you said it's it's very tough to deal with and i i imagine that there are a lot of people that make games that are creatives that like they just get lost in the game right it's easy to be like hey you get on a groove and you just keep going and it probably doesn't even feel like crunch when people just like hey i'm going i'm writing and i just you know busted out 18 hours worth of work and you know hey where did the time go because you're just kind of in that groove you're in that creative um in that creative flow so it, it's a tough conversation and especially now as we talk about you know, we talk about crunch we talk about everything that's coming to light um, right now around sexism and sexual assault um, and those things that, you know, people in power that, that were thought to be untouchable at one point. And now as people talk about it, as people give their experiences and it's finally coming to light and it's coming to light in a big way because it, it has happened before, but it seems like, it seems like now things are changing and it seems like the industry is kind of done with just dealing with, with people that shouldn't be there anymore. And that has to be something that I imagine that your team is looking at, like, this is part of the game industry. How do we approach this subject Mm -hmm. with the delicacy that it deserves, right? Because like you spoke before, like triggering people to have memories of things that have happened to them, but it's not something that you can just ignore in your game, right? right? So how do you, how do you approach that with the delicacy? Because that's, that's gotta be something that's kind of terrifying to do like to even try to write a situation like that? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, sadly, there's a wide range of situations that can portray that. Um, some of them are a lot more challenging to, to deal with and so forth. And it depends as well. Like one of the big things that I want to make sure uh, with Game Director Story is that as a player, you're never in a situation where you are um, that you're able to do something like that and that you're able to, to essentially do something bad. Um, what tends to happen is that you hear about it through your leads mention like, Hey, somebody on my team just brought this up or whatever the case is. And then you have some options of how do you want to deal with this thing? Um, so having that, I think helps. Um, and then the rest of it, to be honest, like I'm, we want to work with quite a few people to try to make sure that when they go through it, it's striking that balance of, you know, we're not, we're not paying lip service to it, but at the same time, um, not like triggering somebody um, having gone through those things. Uh, that would be my worst case scenario is inadvertently doing something like that. And it's actually the opposite of what we're trying to do. But I think it's important for, for players to kind of see I mean, if we can pull it off for players to see how, how can something like that survive, permeate, um, you know, what does it feel like when someone comes to you and goes, I don't know who else to turn to. I don't feel like I can go to HR and I don't feel I can go to my manager or whatever the case is. Uh, You seem to be somebody that I can trust or whatever the case is. And here's my situation. What do you suggest? Uh, and that's a really, really difficult conversation to have. Um, but that's ultimately like, I want to make sure that we kind of have players go through that um, in order for them to feel what it's like in some cases being either helpless, like you do not have the political capital to go and solve this problem on your own. Uh, at best, you may be able to influence um, something towards that, or maybe not. And all you can do is try to build um, an environment on the team that you do have control and influence over and what you expect from them and how you want them to behave. Um, but that's definitely like that and a couple of other um, issues as well um, are certainly going to be one of the more tougher ones for sure. Um, but I want to make sure that we we do we try to do that. We'll have people read through it ahead of time, experience it ahead of time and give us that feedback uh, to make sure that we're at least, you know, trying to handle it properly and 
absolutely worst case, if it turns out that, you know, we're just not hitting the mark with it, then I'd rather not have that, at least for now. Maybe later on, we could add additional scenarios or situations that could come up and that could be something there. So. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to get the final product whenever you, you all are ready to deliver. Um, it, like I said before, it's not a game that I normally play, but it just captured my attention and like playing through the demo multiple times. I'm like, yeah, that feels like, you know, I, I need to know more of the story. I need to know where it began and how it ends because you can't just end here on E3. That's like, yep. it's E3 moment. What happens? I have to know what happens uh, next. So yeah, I know. And, and actually that was an interesting one as well. Uh, like the event that you play in the demo is one event that happens early on in the production phase. So the game itself will start at the concept phase where it is a really small team. You kind of know everybody. Um, and then as you kind of progress and the game gets signed with a publisher, the team grows to you know over 100 people and you're kind of struggling with some of those pain points as well. And what that means, um, situation or um, uh, decisions and, and deadlines and things like you move from that kind of blue sky, anything's possible. Uh, and all of a sudden, like deadlines start to matter more uh, and you're having to make decisions about like, no, this is out, this can stay in. Um, and each of those decisions can potentially upset people or or so forth. So you're starting to kind of deal through some of that stuff and then ultimately getting to uh, finaling the game. Uh, as you go through each of the phases, there's multiple events that could occur uh, in random. Um, so this time you encounter E3 next time, maybe that's not there and it's a different event that shows up for you. Um, and then there's also outside of the event. So events are meant to be like a fire drill. Uh, it's for the next couple of weeks, this is the most important thing that we're dealing with because it just caught on fire and that's what everybody's talking about. And that's what everybody's focused on. And the E3 thing is kind of this iconic, everyone, even outside of being a developer, I think kind of gets that or has heard enough yeah. about it. So it felt like a really good way to kind of introduce that concept. But even when you're outside or you're done the event, then you kind of go back into regular development mode, which isn't in the demo yet. And that's where you have these kind of more day-to-day -day type of things that could be happening. Like, hey, the build's broken. What do we do about that? A hundred people are sitting idling thumbs and um, like just dealing with those kinds of, um, in some cases, like really comical, in other cases, very mundane type of things, but it's, it's slice of life game dev. And that's also part of being that fly in the wall. Um, and there's the thing is that constantly that counter of the next deadline or the next fire drill or the next, you know, uh, milestone is always there. Like that time is constantly moving forward and every single day you do not have enough time to deal with all the problems. So inevitably you have to choose which ones you're just going to fall to the side, let those plates fall and, and you'll have to pick up those pieces at some point, but you have to deal with the more important stuff, whatever you deem is more important. Right. Um, and then ultimately that kind of culminates through the end of production into the filing phase where I won't spoil it. There's a slightly different game mode that happens there where you kind of go through like this really intense piece as you're trying to finally ship the game um, before, you know, essentially time runs out and the game is effectively taken from your hands, ready or not. It's like the day is here, it is. out it goes. And now you have a little bit of this weird lull. Like in a lot of ways, you're super relieved. Um, it's out there, et cetera. In other ways, you know all the faults that are in there and all the hackery and all the duct tape and stuff that went into just getting that out the door on time. And now you have this kind of couple weeks lull before the game actually comes out and it's insert and so forth, where you have to deal with these kinds of issues that could be coming up like, hey, you know, Sony just said there's an issue here and unless we fix it, the game's not going out. So that's now a new firefighting thing that you have to deal with. Um, so there's those kinds of things of trying to get to the very end. Then of course the game comes out and then seeing the feedback from that. Uh, so, you know, going through, it is very important to kind of see that aspect of it, knowing intimately all the warts and stuff that you had to leave in there because at the time those seemed like the right decisions to make and then kind of getting that sense of this is what, you know, fan reaction is on Reddit and on Steam reviews and uh, YouTubers and press and, um, you know, uh, Metacritic and all these kinds of things, right? Both the good and the bad. 
um, and having that kind of a reflection of all the things that was part of that experience. So my hope is you get to the end and you actually feel like you, you shipped the thing. Like, I can't believe we made it to the end. We actually managed to get this out the door. And yes, it's got these problems and I'm super proud, but I'm also super angry that we left some of these things in there. And that's game dev. And then you have to decide whether you want to go get back on the horse and do one more round after that. So someone that has always wanted to make a game, I don't need to do it anymore. I just need to play <laughs> your game and I will get that sense of accomplishment. Well, you'll certainly get all the drama of it nice. uh, and all the challenges. I think I would definitely encourage you to try making a game yourself. I mean, nothing beats actually hands-on going through some of that stuff, no matter what the scope you, even if it's like a, you know, 48 hour game jam or something like that. It's, it's hugely enlightening just to see even just in that short span, like some of the things that come up and that you have to deal with and so forth. But I hope but if, Fernando, else, if you don't get the chance, then at least you'll be able to experience it through a game. Dev. I was going to say, but it looks really hard to make a game. So maybe I'll just play your game <laughs> instead. As, as it long is. As I don't you have... should know why, why all developers say it is really hard to get a game out the door once you get yeah. through this. I, I guess as long as I don't have to read YouTube comments in your game, I think I might be able to, to go through it. Note, read. Yeah. YouTube. make sure the make sure they read youtube comes i mean it, the, it it also feels like i get a sense of like you're living the movie inception right because you're a game director on game director and like at this point do you know how many levels you are deep or is this just kind of like i don't know if i'm in a dream right now or what's happening here because yeah we've, we've actually joked that it should be essentially a game about making a game about making a game so essentially it's like the the team in the game is making something like game director story nice. which is a game about making games we're gone three so, levels but I don't know deep. if we'll go quite that far. Yeah, that's and you'll just you'll just have your avatar at a computer and you're telling <laughs> the avatar what to do. Yeah, in the end, it's actually just a, a shot of you facing the the screen. Oh geez, yeah. no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was you the whole time. Uh, so that's Fernando, thank you. Just cake, right? Yeah, it's. I, I still don't understand the cake thing. I, mean, I, I was gone for one weekend and all of a sudden people think everything's cake. I just don't it's, get it. Yeah, it's true. Actually, uh, like the last. Uh, usually the last month or two, it's been a lot of heads down, like so much stuff is going on. And it's like primarily me that's doing a lot of this stuff. Uh, we have a great team, but in terms of just wearing so many different hats to keep things going. Um, so I haven't had a chance to really spend as much time on social media as I wanted to. And it's honestly, it's like, you know, you go away for a couple of days or a week and then you come back and it feels like it's another world. Like so much yeah. has happened in a week. And you're trying to catch up and you're like, what? This happened? And yeah, it's, it's, it's can be actually quite overwhelming at times, but um, in a way it's good. Like these things are really good to get out there, but yeah, it can be a little bit hard to follow and, and sometimes it, it hits hard. Right. So yeah, yeah it for sure. feels like the meta of a video game, but Fernando, um, before we let you go, since we've been chatting your ear off, can you tell um, our listeners how they can find um, Game Director Story, where they should go to do that, where they should go to follow you and follow more updates on the game? Sure, yeah, thanks. Um, I mean, the best way is to go on Steam. The demo is there and just look for a Game Director Story and it'll come up. Uh, you can also check us out at doubleblit.com or on Twitter at doubleblit. And then uh, mine is Disco Babaloo, but you can follow me through the doubleblit uh, account as well. Awesome. Fernando, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it when um, it's, it takes time to make games and this is time that's being taken away from you making video games. So we really appreciate you uh, freeing up a couple of minutes to talk to us and talk to our listeners about um, Game Director Story. So thank you very oh, much, Fernando. It was Fernando. my pleasure. Yeah, it was thank my pleasure. So thank you so much for having me, guys. Really appreciate yeah, no it. No problem. No problem. And to everyone else, um, be good to each other and we'll see you next time.